Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Find and Follow podcast, where we are all about helping you find and follow Jesus in your everyday life. We are back again with Craig, Kyle, and Scott at the HQ. Uh, Craig, welcome back. Hey, thanks. From the trip. It's like you never left. So you probably won't listen to last week's episode, but... Like no, what? How is it like he never left? Because we we were like, oh, Craig would say, oh, yeah. and then Craig would say, what would Craig talk <laughs> oh, really? about? We talked now about. I have to listen to it. Well, and you see should. What be... You think I would say? <laughs> At least the first Except few minutes. Scott said, Craig's not going to listen to this. <laughs> but now that we told you, N- now I will. Now you, you're probably going to listen more out of concern, <laughs> <laughs> probably, <laughs> and caution than like real curiosity and. And then next week I'll be setting the record straight. No, you. Did, why wait? You got this week to set it straight. <laughs> but I we don't didn't, know what I need to yeah. set straight. There's nothing to set straight. No, one of the things we just said, hey, Craig's not here. He, they're celebrating 50 years of being married. Yes, and, indeedy. Uh, having some fun wherever you are at in that moment. I said, I don't know. I'm trying to have a good attitude. You're on. I get pictures every day. Some fabulous beach, <laughs> sunshine. Oh my goodness. Crystal clear, clear water, like warmth. But I was excited for you. Yeah. So the question was. And then us two knuckleheads were trying to answer it. How do you stay married for 50 years? How do you go 50 years? And we rounded up for you because you're at 49 and two-thirds. So we just said, you'll yeah. probably make it. Our anniversary is June 12th, and we decided to cruise earlier for a variety of reasons. But, but if you had to go just two of the top things, not necessarily the top two things. So I don't want to put that kind of pressure here on you in the moment. But two of the like legit people... It seems like maybe I'm becoming more aware. Seems like more and more just common. People have been married for decades and then get divorced. Mm-hmm. Twenty years, thirty years. Yeah, there's forty years. A pastor friend of mine who just left his wife for another woman, and after almost fifty years. Yeah. So, but then there's you know tons of people that been married a long time. So, but for you, like someone is someone maybe me, asking someone listening in, they're 12 years in, they're 8 years in, they're, you know, just getting going. What's, they're 20 years in, they're like 50 or 60. So, yeah, I wasn't prepared for this question, and there are lots of... You've been preparing for 50 years. You're well, I, 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 got a, <laughs> I got a response for you. Okay. Um, there's lots of things, of course, that play into it. It's, it's, you know, it's all the above. There's a whole list of things that are factors. The two things that stand out, just as I think about it spontaneously, one is that you don't commit yourself to 50 years. You commit yourself to one day at a time, like a lot of things in life. Today, I'm going to be Cindy's husband, and I'm going to do the best I can to be the husband she needs me to be today, because that's all we ever have, right? We just have this day, this moment. So so there's that, and and I I think that's... You know, it seems seems maybe a little trite. I don't know. It might seem like, well, that doesn't tell me much. Well, what it does is it takes the stress and pressure away. It's like, I don't have a 20-year commitment or a 50-year commitment. I had a I have a 24-hour commitment, and I can do 24 hours, and then I can do it the next day and the next day, and pretty soon it's almost 50 years. But the the far more important thing is, and and this is. But you started with a lifelong commitment, right? Yeah, you, you say the vows, and, and that's what your intention is, but as you live it out, I'm, that's what I'm talking about. Your focus is not on, well, i got to do this for 50 years or 20 years or whatever. No, my focus is I just need to do this today. And the same thing in following Jesus. I, when I committed to Jesus, it was for my life, right? But in the way you live it out, it's one day at a time. Like, I'm not, Jesus, I'm committed for the next 20 years. Yeah. You are, but then you, your but, experience is but, right now. But here. right now, my focus is on just following him today. That, that's all I'm saying there. But the far more important thing is uh, eyes on Jesus. We, we've had our ups and downs, to say the least, right, over the years. And the only way we've actually made it is when both of us actually had our eyes on Jesus and not on each other. When you get your eyes on each other, and by, by that I mean where the focus is. Of course, you, you look at each other, you love each other. I, don't misunderstand me, but, but, but the focus is on following Jesus. What, did, what would Jesus want from me right now to be the husband Cindy needs? Because he loves her even more than I do, right? So what is it that he would have me do, and how would he have me treat her now as, as the husband that she needs me to be? And 
And when you do that, when both of you are doing that, it works. It's, it's two people whose primary focus is on Jesus and their secondary focus is on each other, not vice versa. And so um, for me, and I think, I think mom would agree, uh, Cindy, I'm talking to my son Scott here for those of you listening. <laughs> Podcast got real casual yeah, right got there. Real casual, real, real family. She's mom. Yeah, anyway, I think she would agree that it, it's Jesus that's been the glue that kept our, our marriage together. So, In like good vacations. Well, there's that. <laughs> we have taken a lot of vacations, and you've been on many of them. Oh, yeah. Having fun together. Yep. That's one of those things that um, can't get overlooked. Like, you enjoy hanging out. It's not, it's not how do you make it 50 years, like, oh, uh, we're suffering through just tolerating. How do you put up with someone for that long? And you got to, like, be in the same spot most of the time. Right. It's You enjoy each other. You're friends, and you want to be with each other and hang out. You have friends, you know, separate friends, hang out, do different things. Right. And, but still, you you actually like like each other. Well, there's yeah, that's so true. And I've for years I, I've I've said to people, you know, publicly and privately, I, I married my best friend. I I had a lot of friends at that time in my life, and so did Cindy, and and yet we were friends, and then became more than friends, and realized, oh, you're my best friend, and I love you, and I want to spend the rest of my life with you, and I want to. I want to serve Jesus together alongside of you, and so that's where we got. That's how we got started. I just married my best friend, so did Cindy. Huh, that works out. There you go. So yeah, I don't even remember what we said. Yeah, last no, week. as you said that, I was like, "What did we say he was gonna say?" Yeah, I feel like we got pretty good. I'm gonna have to go back and listen yeah, as I well. <laughs> I think we said that the Jesus thing is yeah. Because I think I said, well, Craig would probably say it and said something, and then yeah, and then I was like, but I haven't been 50 years, so I don't know. Like, is this, anyways. Uh, even for a person who maybe heard you say that and like, well, what if they're in a relationship and one person's not really focused on Jesus? You know, eyes aren't really fixed on Jesus, maybe at all. They just aren't about God and serving God. Or they've just kind of been distracted. Right. Jesus, is the, the importance of a relationship with God as first and foremost isn't there. I would still say, still the same answer. It, it you is. can have your eyes fixed on Jesus and yep. love God and serve him. And not be, not that it doesn't influence your life and your relationship, and it would be much better if both of you were together, focused after God. But you can still do that. You're not held back in your own personal growth because that person isn't following Jesus wholeheartedly. It's going to be more difficult and challenging, and it would be more rich and beautiful and wonderful as the two of you are, are growing closer together with God at the center. But don't let it hold you back. I would agree. That's that's a good point, Scott. And and in the end, none of us can ever do anything more than just our part. We talk about that a lot around Mission Church. There's there's three parts to every relationship. Uh, there's my part. There's the other person's part that I have a relationship with, and then there's God's part. And I can't I can't control what Cindy does. Uh, and when I try to, it's not good. It's okay. not pretty. <laughs> that's that's on record now officially. <laughs> that is on record. For the next fifty years, buddy, you're held to that one. I know, right? But I can I can control my part. And so even if it doesn't work out, right? So for our listeners who maybe have one of those relationships you yeah. described, maybe it doesn't work out. Maybe it ends up in separation or divorce. Here's the point, that when you go to sleep at night, you need to be able to put your head on the pillow and, and know in your heart of hearts, hey, you did all that you could do. You did your part. And God certainly is always faithful to do his part. So if the other person chose not to do their part, that's on them. At least you can have a, a clear conscience and peace in your heart that you tried. You don't want to get to the end of a relationship and realize, okay, this thing blew up because I didn't do my part and I know it. That's the kind of regret you want to avoid. So keep your eyes on Jesus, do your part. That's all you can ever do anyway. Right. Because even in a relationship where two of you are following Jesus, like, like the three of us, like you said earlier, it's not perfect. Oh, it's There's definitely times and moments mm -hmm. and in situations where not that the other person or yourself would go, I, I'm out on Jesus, but the way of Jesus for that moment, you're like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. What, I would, I need to call them and, and, you know, like restore the relationship. I'm not doing that. Why would I do that? They're the ones that need to come out. You know what I mean? I do. And you're like, um, we gotta, we gotta come back to Jesus here. Let's, Let's focus in, like, I don't want to pray about that. You know, I don't want to follow the way of Jesus in this moment or this situation. 
So the assumption is like, well, you, Craig, you and Cindy got the perfect marriage, and that's how you guys make. You both love Jesus. It's always beautiful 100% of the time. And I started with we've had our ups and downs yeah. for sure. Ups and downs. Yep. So it's the same thing. Craig's got to focus on Jesus, and um, Scott's got to do the same. Kyle, I'll speak for you. Cause Thank you. God, but I'm here. So Yeah, yeah. I say <laughs> you've been off mic. There, there you are. Um, but you guys had fun? We did. We had a fabulous time. We've been on several cruises over the years, and and uh, this one was to a, uh, a part of the Caribbean that we've never been to, the Southern Caribbean, just some of the islands just right north of the coast of Venezuela. And so uh, we were excited to see some different islands, some different ports of call. Uh, we were with some good friends that we've cruised with twice before, um, which makes it even better. And so, yeah, we had a fabulous time. Shorts and T-shirts and flip-flops. Perfect. When it was uh, actually, I think, what, five degrees yeah. here when we left? Yeah. It was yeah. not whatever it was where you were. <laughs> put it that way. That's why you get away. That's right. Get some vitamin D sunshine. The um, the couple you went with, how long have they been married? It's been a long time as well. They have been married 45 years, I think, yeah. or 46, okay. something like that. They're just a couple years behind us. Wow. Both in age and marriage. Cool. Very cool. Well, there you go. Let's start the podcast off with a little, uh, little marriage one hundred and one advice. Man, don't we need stronger marriages in our community and culture? And um, people just kind of seem to be able to opt out too easy these days. And yeah, go, yeah, absolutely. I don't know. It's hard. Yeah, it's a choice. Eh, yeah. It's a twenty-four hour commitment again and again and again. Like ah, it requires on me. Yeah, but it's beautiful and wonderful when you're together and. How God's created us, and it gives us a picture of our relationship with God, the intimacy. You know, that's in Scripture, we're the bride. All of us, us dudes included, are the yep. bride of Christ. Yep. Um, and marriage helps us understand that intimacy. Um, I shared this at our community group, um, but I think it applies to marriage and a relationship with God. When you become real intimate with people, um, hopefully in a marriage situation, you're real comfortable to be with one another. But Dan Rather interviewed Mother Teresa, and I don't know when this was, a long time ago. And in the interview, he just asked her, what do you say when you pray to God? And she said, I just listen, which kind of threw him off a little bit. And so he asked, okay, well, what does God say to you when you're listening? And she said, he listens. And he didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> of course not. Right? And she's like, well... If I have to explain it to you, you don't quite get it. And I think in a in a marriage relationship, there's definitely times and moments where you just are with each other. Yep. And you can, especially early on, you know, you the young love, you can just be with each other and like googly eyes at each other. Is that the right term, Kyle? The kids mm -hmm. these days. Nope. Yeah. But you just I think Kyle's you just gaze at one another <laughs> like you wouldn't say that but that's what you do you just gaze at each other and you listen and there's so much to be understood and to be with and the presence and heard yeah um that's a beautiful relationship has that ability to be together and not in a way where like we're in the same room and but oh i forgot you were even here because i'm focused on my device and you're on your device and we're separate and we're thinking about other things but to actually be present with each other and to really enjoy and there's a communion and a communication that happens without a bunch of words or even body language. So Yeah, I think to your point, to the Mother Teresa analogy and the relational dynamic, it's reframing really the understanding of intimacy and what that looks like and actually the experience of that between relationally. And, and Craig, you started out with talking about your relationship with Cindy, like you know, best friends and relationships with people. Like I think that we misunderstand and, and misdiagnose this idea of intimacy in relationships and what it means to be intimate with God and listening and communing and just being present with God and each other. And so I'm not just talking like physical intimacy with your spouse, but like relationships just in our world, like you talk about, Scott, marriages could be better. I mean, I think all of our relationships, just the depth and the level of connection and communion and intimacy with people, um, specifically in the 21st century, it's really easy to have lots of relationships, in quotes, um, lots of real good friends, uh, but the depth of intimacy is is almost comical. I mean, it's it's like, it's those aren't intimate relationships. You're not known, and you don't, you don't know and, and be known. You don't experience that 
genuine connection and depth of relationship and, and growing together intentionally in community the way that Jesus designed us to. And so talk about that in marriage, but it's it it ripples out to everything that we do. And so when we experience that intimacy with Jesus, it should, as we follow him, encourage us to understand how we're supposed to relate to each other and grow with a depth of intimacy with people in life. Um, you know, not just one person, not just a spouse, not just a best friend, but the depth of community that God designed us to. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, here's, here's something you could just try. Here's what I'd want you to do is just with the, the next person that you come across that is your more intimate with just be with them and see how long it takes before it gets awkward i remember like, i don't remember who just it was sit and be quiet and stare at them and they're gonna go what what like i just want to be with you you're like this is weird i had a friend say or some an acquaintance once he said that like that's i don't know if he said he heard this or this is what he does but how he engages the depth of a relationship is kind of that he's like when i'm with someone who's who i'm not super comfortable with and you just sit there, it's so awkward, right? So you have to fill the gap and talk and be, you know, I had two Zoom calls the other day and I found myself like, I'm just still talking because I don't know this person really. Yeah. And it's really informal. And it's, so it's like... Two seconds feels like 20 yeah, minutes. Yeah, it feels like forever, right? And he's like, yeah, the people who you know and are intimate with and do life together, you could sit for hours and just in silence and you're not uncomfortable because you know them and you care about them. And think about your best friends and they come over and you sit on the couch and... Maybe there's a device, maybe there's not, and it's like not awkward because you've just done life for so long that uh-huh. that intimacy yeah. is yeah. Give it a try today, like with your spouse or with a good friend, just or with strangers, and then you'll understand how the relationship isn't that deep. Just go sit at a coffee shop if there's like a you know real intimate setting, like a couch. Just go sit right next to that person and don't say anything and see how long you can go. Try it out. Social experience. Please video. Yeah, I was gonna say videotape. It's like one of those YouTube things where they do something awkward and try to get like, where's the camera? Yeah, yeah. Oh no, it's great. I did it. I did it to Amy the other day, and uh, it's it feels like forever. And you're 12 seconds in, and so just to be with each other, and that's what God wants. And if we could take that segue over to Matthew chapter 17, I think there's this real intimate, maybe the most. I don't know if we have to categorize it most, most intimate yeah. moment that the disciples have with Jesus and and the Father and the Spirit. Like, it is a powerful, powerful, probably it's, we call it the transfiguration, but it's this thin space where heaven and earth meet and they go to a mountaintop and it's where the distinction between the realm in which God dwells fully and then our experience was very, very thin and broken through for a moment. Craig, I don't know if you're familiar with Stranger Things. I think Things. that was well put. Do you know Stranger Things, the, the show? I do know of it. I, yeah. I'm not a I've watched a few it. episodes, but they have that kind of experience where there's some yep. thin spots yep. where, right? Help yeah, me. do you know what the, the, the upside other, down? Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I was like, are you going to actually, yeah. Yeah, but it's these thin spots where there's a it, bleed through. And oh man, we could go oh, preach. There's light that bleeds I, through the darkness I, from one realm to the other. Come on, let's go. Yeah, I knew if I brought it up, but get, <laughs> I'm like, eh, I don't. I watch a few episodes. I get the thing. It was okay, but I, yeah, Kyle would be in, and you'd be like, I saw a logo. Yes, I'm aware. But I think we we have these experiences too. Um, and I want to jump in the scripture here, but we have these different moments with people. Uh, in church gatherings and different moments where you just feel like God's presence is really, really thick and real and the thinness between heaven and the reality of where Jesus is and where we are seems even, he just seems closer than normal, even though he's always with us. So they have this real intimate moment um, after the declaration of Jesus as the Christ. You know, so if we zoom way out on the life of Jesus... It's kind of coming to the end here. And so there's a lot of chapters left in Matthew, but it's it's a shorter time frame than the first few chapters. He kind of like speeds up, speeds up. All right, so this last section where Jesus is clearer than ever before, this is what's happened. I'm the Messiah. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. Got it? They're like, no. Yeah, quick little note on that that I found interesting as I was studying this passage. This is a unique even way for Matthew to start this off. If As we've been reading, right, he says like, 
a few, you know, he's like a little while later or, you know, he, he t- uses it. And then they went and he, he does. This is like one of the places that he's very specific six days later. And I, I think what he's trying to do is not be ambiguous with the fact that, Scott, like you said, this did just happen after this big moment of declaration, Peter's words and what that means. Like this, these are closely linked. So he's not like, oh, you know, a few months later when we were traveling from another town. Right. Because sometimes when he says a little while later, you know, it's like it was a journey from one place to the next, right? He said, wait, you were in Galilee, and now you're way up here. Like, yeah, it wasn't the next day. It was a journey. But then this happened, this significant event. But he's specific here. Like, this wasn't months later. This wasn't weeks later. This was days later after, again, the timeline got accelerated, to your point, that things are starting to happen. Jesus has set some of the things in motion that are leading ultimately to uh, his death and resurrection. And at this point, now his revelation in some glory that's that's pretty awesome. Before we uh, get into chapter 17, I think it's important to also catch the very end of 16, where he's talking about um, eternal perspective and the things that really matter. What will it benefit you if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. That's verse 27. And then he says, the last verse of the chapter, and I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And just a casual reading of that would lead you to conclude, oh, so his, his triumphal entry into planet Earth where he takes charge and comes with his angels and sets up his kingdom, that, that the that's second also coming of the Jesus. second coming, which is kind of hard to... There's no context for that when he's already still living out his first coming. But anyway, but, but it would be uh, easy to conclude, oh, he's, he's talking about that same event in verse 28, but he's not. He's talking about the transfiguration. And he uses similar language, but basically what he's saying is that kingdom that's going to come one day in time, in earth's history, that same kingdom is here right now because it's wherever Jesus is. And he's, say, and he's saying some of you are going to get a, a sneak preview. This is a this is a trailer to the big event. This is an opportunity for you to see how real this kingdom that I've been talking to you about for nearly three years now, how real that kingdom is. And then they go up on the mountain. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus goes up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. John, the brother of James, the tw- the uh, two sons of Zebedee. And so here's these three guys with they're going to have this unique, unique experience. And I loved it, too, last episode, Kyle, with the, I've never really put the visual. Uh, we talked about Jesus' famous line of, get behind me, Satan, right? And Peter's declaration of, like, no, no, you're not going to have this whole horrific thing. And as a, a rabbi, his followers would literally follow, you know, physically, like line leader for preschool. And so Kyle brought that up. You know, I never really had that strong of a visual, like Peter's physically out in front, and maybe he was, I don't know, physically out in front of Jesus trying to declare this truth, and Jesus is like, no, you're you're thinking through human mind and man perspective. You're not thinking through the kingdom of God. L- literally get behind me and also spiritually, you know, figure. Fall in line. Fall in line, meaning yep. this is what needs to happen. Yeah, yeah um, and follow, actually follow me. You're not following me. You're following you're the prompts of the lie of the enemy and your own wants or desires. Get yeah. in line in the in the following. Of the it's good. That's so, good. So here we are, six days later. We get always as preachers. We like to get on Peter's case, and he's the bad guy. I was shooting his mouth off, and we like to point him out one because he's the I, most. I, I like the guy. Yeah, but he's the yeah. most. Uh, who, who, what preacher is you talking about? <laughs> All of them. Just, All I mean, of them. <laughs> well, he's also the guy that has the most uh, ammunition here for us is to to communicate. Yeah, like, there's a lot about him. The other Judas. What do we uh, What do we got on the other Judas? The other guy named Judas. Yeah, not a whole lot. So, anyways. I digress. But Peter's, my point of all of that, six days later, here's Peter following Jesus, you know, up the mountain. He's like, where are you going? I'm going with you, you know. So I just want to give Peter some credit. He's, he truly follows Jesus, but it's yeah. a roller coaster. It's up yep, and down. For sure. And so they go up to the mountain, and then they have this, this amazing Jesus in all of his glory revelation. And I don't even know what to do with this moment. Um, You know, as a follower of Jesus here today, they have this probably second to witnessing the death and resurrection 
for Peter, James, and John, I don't know. This is probably second for them on the thing that they witnessed that just was like, oh. This Peter is, and John this is both God. refer to it later in their letters as a significant event. Yeah, I was going to read the second Peter couple verses because it, besides the resurrection, for them, I think this is next because what are they, what they witnessed. And was, understandably so. You're really in on like ranking today. Like, let's rank them. Yeah, probably top too much. 10. Too much of my life is ranking. <laughs> yeah, let's go top ten. Like, okay, well, the feeding of the five thousand. I mean, that was cool, but it wasn't as cool no. as the transfigure. I mean, the resurrection that was the coolest. So that's got that's got to be number one. Foundation of their faith. And if you'd like one. a complete list of yeah. Scott's ranking let's of Jesus' rank miracles, just keep. We listening. do like as as just a culture, we do like a good ranking. Like, oh no, but what's the best? Hey, I did good, Craig. Like, what are some of the? I know, but you stopped yourself. Even no. in that under, <laughs> even in that asking, you were like, well, I mean, you don't have to do them in order, but like the top ten, but <laughs> rank them. I, I have, when I'm talking with people, I have changed. I changed a couple years ago. Don't ask people what's your favorite, what's the best, what's the most, what's the ultimate. Don't give me the penultimate, you know, because uh, it's really you. hard. Yeah. And, and I'm not trying to get your number one. I just am really curious about what it takes for yeah. 50 years of marriage. I don't or, like it when people ask me my favorite restaurant. I'm like, I don't, I don't yeah. know my favorite restaurant because I like a lot of. Good I can food. give you five that I like. Yeah, I usually respond that way. Yeah. Right, yeah. or like with my kids, it's not like, well, what's the best thing to happen today? You know, I'm just trying to engage them with their day what's, and what yeah. school is like. Like, what's a good thing that happened at yeah. school? A better question, right? Yeah, now. it's a better question. It opens conversation. Anyways, so his clothes so become it's, it's as white as It's an important liked. thing that is the <laughs> point that you're making. Yeah, whether they would say it's the number second, the third. Yeah, I think, oh, his clothes become as white as light. So the, yeah, let's the thinness, dive into what happens. The here. thinness has allowed light to break through. We're seeing Jesus as he truly is in his divinity, something that's kept from people ordinarily, but it's the reality that's been there all along since he was conceived in Mary's womb. He is that divine individual that they're seeing, and he's the glowing or the light. The brightness is the reflection of God himself, who is light. Jesus is light, and the kingdom is full of light, and so that, that's where the light comes. But I, I'm intrigued by this next thing. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? It had to be they got called by name. Jesus probably called them by name. Hey, Moses. And, and they began talking, and I just, you know, curiosity in me just drives me nuts on, on something like this. What were they talking about? What was that like to be talking with Moses? How did and why Moses and Elijah of all the Old Testament greats, you know, the prophets and different ones, like why isn't David there or Jeremiah or, you know, Isaiah? But it's Moses and Elijah, and you can speculate all day long why the two. But I, I just think it's wonderfully fascinating. It's not just seeing Jesus for who he really is, but seeing Jesus conduct kingdom business. Whatever they're talking about, it has to do with the kingdom of God. Because Jesus told the disciples, you won't die before you actually see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And this is that experience. They have to be talking about the kingdom. The king of the kingdom is having conversation with Moses and Elijah. Powerful, powerful moment. Yeah. And again, I mean, I, I keep being this guy who goes back to Matthew's audience and his writing to predominantly Jewish believers who understand the story of redemption and God's plan. And uh, this moment, like he doesn't say the specific mountain, but every single Jewish reader, listener of this, would have had a picture in their mind of Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. I mean, they just, you just can't not. Yep. The God's glory, uh, I was reading it this week, Scott, your wife would love this, shout out Amy, the Shekinah glory of God, the Shekinah, which is what they would have understood as the the presence, the revelation, authority of God resting, whether it was the, you know, cloud of, of fire uh, and the, you know, the, the, cloud the, of the fire. pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, thank you, <laughs> that led them in the wilderness. That's his Shekinah, his, yep. his presence, whether it rested on the ark and then this moment that Moses has when he goes up to a mountain, his face shines. So much so that people, the people can't even look, look at, at it. So that they're thinking like, oh, it's that kind of moment. And so now Jesus is shining like that, but not a radiance from external. Moses' face is receiving kind of the glory of God, and but Jesus is radiating this Shekinah, this glory of God from inside because it's who he is. So he's presenting himself um, as his exalted status, his the glory of God, the Craig, like you mentioned, of who he is yep. and what he embodies to present it to them. Why would Amy like that? 
That word? Yeah. Oh, she. You don't. Okay. I don't. I, guess I don't know my wife as guess, well. As <laughs> maybe you should sit down and just be quiet for a little bit. Be intimate. <laughs> we had a couple. Few, a few she, kind, she likes the Shikata glory. Yeah. She's like. Yeah. Okay. No. So you guys can have real, a conversation real good about it. Yeah. There. Well, we talked about it once, and she giggled. She thought it was a funny word, and yeah. she's like, "This is that a thing? Oh, like, okay. What's that?" I was like, "Yeah, you've never heard the Shikata glory." She's like, no. "Nope. I thought you made that up." All and right. I'll ask her about it. Yeah, you should. So, Man. That's good, Kyle, what you were sharing. And it made me think of uh, 2 Corinthians 3, where they talk about, where Paul is writing to the believers in Corinth, and he's talking about um, how when people who don't have a heart toward God read the, the book of Moses, the law, that there's a veil over their hearts, unless they turn to the Lord, in which case then the veil is taken away. And it says, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom... That's a whole podcast in itself there. Sometime. It's a whole song. Every time I hear it, I want to sing it. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see, and, and here's the thing I was driving it, and reflect the glory of the Lord. That's what Moses was doing when he came down from the mountain. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. There's something, to me, it's absolutely astounding that in Moses' case, right, it was an external, God's presence on the mountain, and then he was reflecting that, like um, a mirror would reflect the light from a light bulb or something. But we have that same spirit in us. So we're, we don't just reflect the glory of God, the image of God, the light that is God himself, but we have that light shining in our hearts out from us. And, I mean, that's just an amazing tribute to the grace of God undeserving people that we are, that that would even be true of us. Second Peter uh, 1, 16, this is where Peter, again, number two, is it ranked number two, all-time greatest events followed Jesus? Probably. And uh, I love how he starts here. This is so good. We did not follow cleverly invented stories. I do love that. And I think of our culture today and all, all cultures, like, is God made up? Is this whole thing made up? Is it just a big sham? Sham? Scam? Anyway. Either way. Either way. Um, but no, he's like, no, we're, we're not following cleverly invented stories. When we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. Right, reference to baptism moment of and Jesus to, starting. And to this transfiguration. And then verse 18, we ourselves heard the voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And he just goes on to talk about the prophets and how, hey, listen to the prophets. So they have this moment, because um, we, yeah, we hadn't got there yet, but in Matthew 17, Peter pipes up to this moment. I think Mark or Luke has has a they were up there for a bit they got sleepy weren't really paying attention kind of drifted off or something um so they kind of wake up come to become more aware of the, the moment and peter again that's why we love him he's the one that gives us some some uh ammo, ammo for a message here but he's like hey i'm gonna build some shelters or tents or tabernacles or these like monuments to you jesus moses elijah let's he didn't know what to do he I didn't know what to say. He's just feeling awkward in the moment. And, he's, and, yeah. and typical of Peter, he starts running his mouth rather than maybe just being quiet and reflect on what's going on and yeah, listen. And, but, but to the, the positive side that this moment is, he wants to mark it, right? He wants to like, Good point. This, this is amazing and we should worship. And, and and honor so like he his focus first is is the glory like it, he's experiencing this glory and he's like mark it memorialize it right and so three three things and i don't know if you were going to make a point after that scott but i think it's interesting always that he he's doing that and he gets interrupted so I, I, to my understanding he doesn't do that and right. this voice of god speaks and the interesting thing that's added to this account that's not added to the baptism account is listen to him mm. listen to what he says Right. This is my son who, who uh, you know, the, again, the glory and the Shekinah and all that. Listen to him. And so his his focus and point, and I think the reason um, I, I don't think I'm reading too much into this. The, the reason that he gets interrupted is, again, back to what just happened in, in 16 is his glory. And this amazing moment is not to overshadow what's going to happen on the cross. 
that his glory is always tied to the son of suffering, that his exaltation and honor in, in, in the second coming and all that kind of stuff is always tied to and is not separate from the fact of what's going to happen in the next few days as he suffers and dies. Yeah. So these monuments and stuff, yeah, like you're going to have one on the cross. Yeah. I'm just uh, identifying with the the emotional roller coaster that this must have been for Peter, James, and John. I mean, first of all, to be selected, right? Um, there's 12 disciples, but only three of them are invited to go up on the Top mountain. three. I mean, they were ranked. So, I mean, because again... Oh, yeah. I said only three, not the top three. No, I think these are the top yeah, three. I think so, too. The second Judas, we don't know. <laughs> exactly. All right, but the, that's not my point. Some people are listening. Going, so they're there feeling, were two Judases? <laughs> yeah, there are. They're feeling special, right? They've been invited to a special event up on a mountain. Um, and then Peter's, oh, it's wonderful to be here. He's just like, oh, this is so cool, right? And then, um, then, then he gets kind of put in his place when the father says, hey, you know, I want you to listen. Don't run your mouth, Peter. Listen. Listen to him. This is my son. And then it says, and then they were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Like they go from, you know, they're, they're emotionally all over the place in this experience, I would imagine. Yeah, because I would be too. You're with Jesus, and then he turns bright white. What does God's... And voice sound like yeah he radiates then you see moses and you see elijah they have this conversation it's probably going on for a while and then you have the bright it's described as a bright cloud envelop them and then the what does the voice of god literally sound like because they heard it and they not only probably were frightened but just you think about i have too physically just my body being um overtaken by the power of the spirit and it's just um and sometimes becomes weaker, where you're just like, I got to sit down because the presence of God is so heavy in a good way. And so they have this moment where there's a lot happening. And yeah, everybody would be fall down. Yeah, again, as we look, down. we've talked about it before, and the New Testament authors do this a lot where, you know, angels show up and the the immediate reaction is fear. Like, what the heck is going on? This is supernatural, so it's not something I see every day. So it's freaky because it's, I don't know, you know, we have some descriptions of what some heavenly beings look like, but I don't know what they experienced, right? So it's like, whoa, whoa, this is not normal. And so and then the command or the the reassurance always coming after that, hey, don't be afraid. Yeah. John himself, who's here in this moment and who describes himself in the Gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved, in Revelation chapter 1, when he sees the glorified Jesus, he once again falls on his face, terrified at the sight. And, and to your point, Kyle, once again is told, don't be afraid, it's me. Go ahead and get up. So it, powerful, powerful experiences. And when when the veil gets thin or opens up just enough for us to get a peek yeah. into the kingdom. And so again, so much going on and we can keep keep going. But again, just to continue circle back around to my point, even at the end, when it's all over and they're going back down and Jesus says, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Again, I think the point of him telling them that is this moment is not um separate from the cross. Again, that this this moment isn't even the point. Yeah. So the cross and for the like, because then again, because the you're like, this is top one right now because cross hasn't happened for them. Right. So they're like, we got to tell everybody about this. And the point is that he is glorified. He shown. I mean, he's got the radiance. He's got the kind of glory. It doesn't come and rest on the ark. It's him. He is it. He is the king. Like, and then so then everyone would have been like, sweet, let's go, take us up to heaven. Like Elijah, you he went right. Like you could just let's go, snap your fingers. Like Jesus, like nope. The point is the cross, and so this isn't separate from that. And they, uh, Mark or Luke, record that the disciples talked among themselves. What does he mean by raised from the dead? So they have this conversation of, is that metaphor? Is that a literal thing? Like, they still aren't quite getting it. No. It's a literal dying, rising. Um, to cir- circle back, this is my uh, theological understanding of why Moses and Elijah are there and having this conversation with Jesus um, I think for the benefit of the disciples, not for the benefit of Jesus. I think it's for Moses was the representation of the old covenant. Moses is like we've talked about when is the one that went up to the mountain to met with God, met with God as a friend face to face, radiance of his face, like came down. 
and is representation of old covenant salvation. And so here's Jesus is the new covenant and the ultimate salvation for all people. And then Elijah is the one taken up, didn't die, taken up, you know, in a whirlwind. Um, but he was also the one prophesied that he needed to come before and set the table. By the way, quick trivia question. Who's the other one who didn't actually physically die but was taken? Enoch. Mel oh, it's going Melchizedek. Enoch walked. Well, Melchizedek died in the flood. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so, I, I, I researched this a lot and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of thought on this. The specifically, Math, uh, Matthew does an interesting job of almost pointing to Jesus as um, the new Moses, right? Like yeah, that, Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, Jesus, uh -huh. that he, he's, you know, Moses was the redeemer of God's people out of slavery in Egypt. Jesus is perfect Moses, the new Moses, who's redeeming God's people out of, you know, slavery of sin and death, and so that's important, and so I completely agree, Scott, this new covenant idea, Elijah and Moses kind of representing all of the law and prophets that the people would, I mean, Elijah's kind of the prophet prophet, he's like the number one, if we yeah. were to rank him. Well, and John the Baptist is the new Elijah yeah. to prepare the way, yep. and that's what Jesus finished at verse 11, he says, Elijah's already come, and they didn't recognize him. Yeah. Referring to John the Baptist, he paved the way for Jesus. So, and that was the prophecy of like, well, Elijah's got to return. Well, the the one in the spirit of Elijah, a prophet, who pointed, and we've covered it plenty. Yep. And Matthew, like you said, Matthew's audience is Jewish, primarily, so they're going to pick up on all of this. Yep. The new Moses in Elijah, he's he's he showed up in John the Baptist, the spirit of of the you know Elijah, and so. Yeah, it's it's this powerful, powerful moment, and it's just undeniable for them. Peter and John and James, like, they never let go of this moment as an eyewitness. Nobody had to convince them that God's real or that God, you know, the reality of the kingdom of heaven and light is is a powerful, powerful presence because they, they experienced, they were face down in some dirt going, we're, we're unworthy to be here. And... That's where I love, is it Hebrews? Where it just talks about, in many places probably in Scripture, where we have the Spirit of God in us so we can boldly come before the throne of God. Hebrews chapter 4. And it's boldly because of the Spirit in us, not because of what physically, who we are, what we've done in our own righteousness, because we would not be able to step foot into uh, the arena. We would not be able to step foot in the kingdom without the redemption of, of Christ and then the power of the Spirit in us. So... Yeah, it's again, Jesus touches them, says, don't be afraid, get up, and then keep this under your lid. When you go home and your spouse is like, how'd work go today? You're like, can't talk, can't tell you. Yeah. Can't tell you. I'll tell you later. Big secret. Really cool, but I can't tell you. It's so great, but I can't tell you. You referenced Hebrews 4, and I, I pulled it up here. I think it would be a particular encouragement to some of our listeners, maybe a very timely one. It says, since then, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. And whatever you're going through today, whatever weakness you're struggling with, he understands your weakness. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So, and this is the one you were quoting, this verse, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I like how the NLT puts that. It's just so good. Yeah. This is me guessing and just curious. Um, you know, there's so many times in Scripture is recorded, uh, Jesus went off and prayed and was just with the Father. Like back to our just... I don't know, they probably just sat with each other and were with each other. Mm -hmm. This is me guessing. This is the part. Um, did he have a radiance and a glow in those moments? Did it get real thin in those times? I don't, you know, maybe we'll find out later. But I would venture to say probably, there was probably many a time. This probably wasn't the only time. Oh, I would imagine you're, you're right about that. This was the time specific for the benefit of the disciples to see and experience because throughout the scriptures, we don't have a lot of recording of that kind of level of intimacy with the Father and Son and Spirit together as one. And 
we say, you know, God's fully God. Jesus is fully God when he shows up, but he's also fully man. And we see a lot of the humanity. And he was tired and he was hungry and, you know, those kind of things. He was sleeping. But then we see this moment. This is like full radiance of the glory of God on, on display. Just a, just, a, just a sliver of it. Yep. You know, on the Mount of Transfiguration for Peter, James, and John, that was a glimpse through the, the, the keyhole, so to speak, you know, into the kingdom. But for Jesus, that was not new. Right. We don't know exactly what it was like to be him walking this earth in a human body, but I suspect that that veil that keeps us from seeing the kingdom like Peter, James, and John did on this occasion, that veil wasn't there for Jesus. Because he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. Well, how is he seeing what the Father's doing? Well, and yep. what does that even mean? We don't know. But yeah. that veil isn't there for him. He's seeing both realms simultaneously. Yeah. And then uh, just the next few verses here, and I think we'll just wrap it up with this. Just like Sermon on the Mount, we have another mountaintop experience where Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching the wisdom and the, the deeper understanding of the law of Moses, and people are like, oh, wow, this guy teaches with such power and authority like none of our other teachers. And then they have this supernatural, uh, glowing radiance encounter with God, voice of God. And then he comes down the mountain. You know, when he came to a crowd, there's people there, just like the Sermon on the Mount, shows up, and someone needs him to touch them, heal them, have compassion on them. You know, it's recorded before a guy with leprosy, he comes down, and is he a man of the people, or is he just about these big stage moments? You know, is he just just God and, like, aloof and distance? No, he comes down, and a man says, have mercy on my son. He's having seizures, and there's a demon. And he's like, your disciples couldn't heal him. Um, and Jesus brings, you know, the boy comes to him. He rebuked the demon, and he came out of the boy and was healed at that moment. And so there's this real I, personal, intimate Absolutely. Very similar to the um, Sermon on the Mount experience. But I'm going to be the Matthew guy with the, with the Jewish. It's even more like when Moses comes down from the mountain because Jesus yes. has got some attitude a little bit with the lack of faith. Yeah. And so I think Matthew is referencing very similar. Again, Jewish people would have read, oh, yeah, like when Moses came down, he was glowing. He came down and the people lost faith in God. And there Moses, was a golden calf. And Moses there. was like, what are you doing? What You're worshiping something else. And so now Jesus is going, I was gone for a little bit, and you don't have enough faith to do this? You guys can do this. They're, they've already done stuff like this. And he's like, was it because I was gone? Was it because you lost faith? You doubted? And so he's got a little bit of like, you should have more faith. I think he's going like, hey, come on. Like, you guys should have been able to do this without me. Come on, step it up, guys. Yeah, and if you had a faith just like a mustard seed, you could have cast this mountain. And I read this, and I just, and we could talk a little bit more, but I think this is, was super helpful for me read this in a commentary, it said this, Matthew uh, expected his audience to learn from these recorded signs of Jesus, just as the first disciples did when they witnessed them. We who read these accounts in the Bible should be growing in our faith as relationship with Jesus, as the disciples did who first worked with him. How often do you need, uh, how often do needs around us go unmet because we neglect radical trust in God, especially on behalf of others' needs? And it was just a challenge to me with that faith experience that like, Jesus is like, you know my faithfulness, and you know how good I am and what I can do. And is that trust there? Are we actually trusting, even when he feels different, quote-unquote? Again, I don't know what the other disciples, I don't know how long this was. I don't know what was happening, but I feel like it's very reminiscent to when Moses leaves and all the people freak out because he's gone for too long and God has abandoned us. And Jesus is up on the mountain with his top three, and this guy comes with a need, and they're like, well, we can't, we can't do that. Jesus is gone. I don't know where he went. Did he leave? Is he not Is he not, as, is he not the Messiah? Is he not powerful? He's up on a mountain. Maybe maybe something happened. Maybe he got eaten by a mountain lion. I don't know. And Jesus is like, you guys have enough faith. If you have faith in me, you understand the power of what I can do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's a huge um, challenge and encouragement to our, our relationship with Jesus. Like, yeah, what do you need God to do? He's more than capable. <laughs> like, you know. It's possible. All things are possible with God. You know, there's someone in our lives where he's got cancer and he's just need of Jesus' healing, like right now, today. And so it's severe. Um, and it looks, through man's eyes, very dismal, like fading quickly. But um, with God, all things are possible. And so we just keep believing, keep asking, um, perseverance and trust in Jesus. And who else are we going to go to for life and for love and for light in our lives. Um, 
I'm just going to defend myself. The the disciples and the, flip the page. They they do argue about who's the greatest and who's the top three and top two and they, in the they team. Do. They they're having this conversation. Uh, I'm, saying, I, I'm I just never, saying I wasn't it's coming there. against you for it. I'm just saying it's a, a theme, <laughs> a reoccurring theme. It right is. Now. They're ranking themselves like, hey, can we be number one and number two in the king? But anyways. you're using that as a positive example of why you're doing it because that's not a good example of what they were doing. You get my point, okay. though. There's some ranking going on. No, I'm... Uh, yeah. But back to the the helpful stuff. Just the faith, like... Yeah. Um, verse 20, Jesus replied, Because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And I, w- I just encourage all of us, uh, don't let your lack of understanding of exactly what that means hold you back from asking God to move mountains and do things. Don't let your past experience of someone maybe trying to be manipulative using that verse or just a bad church experience or a friend of yours had a bad church experience with something like that. Um, don't be don't be too dismayed um, by the fact that like you've sought God for something and it didn't happen like you thought. Because um, his kingdom, he's doing stuff that is beyond our understanding as far as the big picture. Um, doesn't mean he's not involved and doing things and cares and uh, it's possible. So it's it's easy to let our faith grow small and get diminished because we're like, well, it didn't happen before and I had a bad experience and I'm not sure exactly what this all means because I'm in that same boat. I don't know exactly what all this means. I've had bad experiences in the past and I've asked God for things and the person went to be with Jesus. So, yeah. am I going to slow, you know, shrink back and not believe, or continue to grow and trust? To your point, Scott, uh, faith is like a muscle. If we don't use it, it begins to atrophy. If we do use it, it begins to grow stronger because, in the exercise of our faith, it strengthens our relationship with Him, and we become more convinced of who He actually is and what He can actually do. Yeah. It's like being married, just 24 hours at a time. Let's do it. Let's do it. Make a commitment. Keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what I'm going to do, 24 hours. Keep following Jesus, be married. What about you? Yeah, I got it. You're in? I've been in for almost 50 years now. Okay, well, just one day at a time. Okay. Coach Craig, that's what I'm saying, just one (laughs) game at a time. Here we go. Well, hopefully today's been helpful for you, Um, something to encourage you, challenge you with. Uh, Have a great week. Make it a great week following Jesus, being the light of love of Jesus, like the radiance of God in your community and the people you meet today. Uh, And maybe sit awkwardly next to someone and just be with them for a bit and uh, enjoy their presence. All right, we'll talk with you real soon.